Warning, listeners, on this episode of Unorthodox, we may talk about our feelings, we may overshare, we may try to relate to you, we may clasp you to our ample bosom. Oh, and we may use bad language. If any of those things doesn't appeal to you, please don't listen. There are many fine podcasts to choose from. It reminds me so much of Melbourne. But Old Toronto is just like Melbourne. She does not He's talk really like racist that. against yeah, Australians. Yeah. That was, come on, that was pretty good. Was that not pretty good? Hello, Jews and others just getting by in this world. This is Unorthodox, the weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet senior writer Leah Leibowitz. Shalom, shalom. And Tablet deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. So listen, back from Toronto. Well, two of us are back from Toronto. Some of us. Some of us are back from Toronto. We had, I would say we had a blast. I had so much fun. Congregation Beth Zedek. How, that how was your Canadian experience? I loved it. I loved the people that we met and the people we talked to. We actually went out after the show, which you don't know about. Um, we had some drinks. Because he wasn't invited. Oh, not you. I meant like you, the listener. Right. It was really fun. I thought they were, I, I mean... I don't know if it's Canadian or just, you know, like the Torontonians or the Torontonian Jews. Everyone was so hospitable and welcoming. It was amazing. They took us out afterwards into Old Town Toronto. We had a, we had a blast. Um, and Liel, so sorry you couldn't make it, but more on that later. I played South Park's Blame Canada all the <laughs> ride back. <laughs> it's their fault. Absence. It is absolutely their fault that I forgot my passport like an idiot. Why aren't they a state? Any, what else is going on in your life, Liel? Could we get a little update from Leibowitz Land? I got an indoor grill, a smokeless indoor grill, which, which for those of us uh, who live in Manhattan and like the meats, is an incredible, incredible thing. Are you a gadget guy? Do you, is your like? Do I have two different kinds of sous vide machines? I don't know. Maybe. Well, one's the one you don't use. One is the one I do not. Use. <laughs> um, I got nothing. You got nothing. You... I mean, look, my registry is starting to fill fill in. It's really nice. Are I you gotta... registered? Yeah, I got a rice cooker. Actually, we bought that for ourselves because no one was buying it for us. Does this mean the invitations are out? No. Do you register before you... You register if, like, all your parents, friends, kids have gotten married and they all have gotten them engagement presents. And then all these people are like, we want to get Stephanie engagement presents. Stephanie, I really have feel that you should make a decision that only one of us is invited and it's up to the listeners to choose which one. Yeah, I'm it's totally going to be like a survivor thing. It's going to be That's like... That's a great like idea. Trump Clinton. Like, only one of us should can we just, get an wait, invitation. Wait, what we have to do is set up some sort of doodle poll. Like, we have to set up an online poll. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. That's, okay. Yeah. And, I have to say, someone in Toronto asked for an invite. First of all, Stephanie has to agree. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Someone, uh, uh, I forget their names, but it was a mother and son, and they were so fun, and they came up to me, they're like, we really just want to come to your wedding. And I was like, you guys are in. Mark and Leo, out. I was like, 100%. I just want to say, it wouldn't take a lot of Google sleuthing for your average listener to find out, to find your registry. Oh, it's, yeah, it's so embarrassing. It, it's, it, like, guys, go buy Stephanie Gibbs. Go fill that registry. Listen out. Don't judge you me. Love us. Don't judge me for my registry. Don't just send us money or subscribe to our <laughs> newsletter. Buy Stephanie Send me that presents. avocado peeler that no That's one exactly. will get me. Send her a dehydrator. Stephanie peel avocado. Guys, send a food dehydrator to Tablet's offices. I mean, we'll, we'll get it to her. Just if you have gifts for Stephanie, start sending them now. Just start sending them. Thanks, guys. It takes a village to fill my studio apartment. We're going to do something about a poll of which of (laughs) us should get the invitation. You have to follow us on on Twitter at Tablet Mag. Um, Do you guys want a JJ story or are we we JJ'd out? He's still alive. She's still alive. Could you be honest? Is there – do people I'll hear it. So she was very bloated. I'll be very quick about this. (laughs) How gross is the story? This is gross. It's not for the squeamish. So fast forward 20 seconds if you're squeamish. She was very bloated, and we took her to the, to, the, to the wonderful Canadian vet who practiced in New Haven, Dr. Lisa McKay, and said, could you 
maybe just relieve the bloating. And she said, well, I've never done a therapeutic drainage. I'm sorry, should I just but, hum the tune from Schindler's List? Yeah, go ahead. So basically she went back with a syringe and just drained some of it, but then it left a little hole. So JJ was leaking for a couple days. I don't like this. But she drained and now she's so much happier. It destroyed one of our sofas because it's filled with JJ leakage, but she's so much happier. So gross. And here's my takeaway, if you're still with us. That part is over. My takeaway is end of life for a dog is like end of life for a, a person, which is there's like a lot of grossness and effluvia and love. Stephanie and, looks and like now. she's going to pass out. <laughs> Stephanie actually looks like she's going to pass out. But just just the image of your dog leaking on your couch. Stop. I love my dog. I love your dog too. Someday you'll I be, love all we'll dogs. We'll all be leaking on sofas some days. That's Listeners, true. if you're wondering which one of us should go to Stephanie's wedding, probably the one that does not JJ. smell <laughs> like <laughs> dog leakage. <laughs> All right, news of the Jews. So listen, this week, to preserve our sanity, there is one name that shall not be mentioned. He has been referred to on our show as Cheeto Benito. You know who we're talking about. He has the best hair uh, on Upper Fifth Avenue. We got a lot of people saying, just take take a week off. So listen, we're going to go back to a simpler, easier news of the Jews from before November 8th. An innocent It's going to be a time. Innocent, yeah, pure. great time pre-November, pre-election news of the Jews. So we'll start, of course, with Anne Frank. A poem handwritten by Anne Frank sold for $150,000 at an auction in the Netherlands. So it's good to know that at least people know who she is. Do you want to hear the poem? Yeah. I'll read you the poem. Yeah, go ahead. Roses are red. Violets are blue. The sun is shining. Hold on, someone's knocking at the door. (laughs) Too soon. <laughs> no, seriously, do you, do you want to you you hear the poem? What's the poem for real, Leo? Do you want to hear the poem? Yeah, go ahead. Do I dare to eat a peach? No, because really, that makes a lot of noise, and the freaking Nazis are right outside the door. <laughs> you seem probably, to be very moved by read. this news story. Here's, I'll give you the, the real last four lines, because okay. I guess it starts with something else. Okay. If others have reproached you for what you have done wrong, then be sure to amend your mistake. This is the best answer one can make. The craziest thing about this story is that so the woman who sold the poem was Jacqueline Van Marsen, who is the sister of the recipient of the poem. Jim Van Morrison. <laughs> her sister didn't want the poem because Anne had apparently been very like critical of her like lack of schoolishness. Like she was always she wasn't working hard <laughs> enough. I love so it. The poem is like, if you've made a mistake, like change your mistake. And this girl the girl was like who is this person? So Anne Frank was mean girling. No, 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 this no, no, no. Woman? I think she was here. Let's read this. She was oh, actually she was, from Catholic. she was heathering that said Van Marsen now eighty seven quote. My sister didn't really like the poem very much because Anne was very critical of her because she left school early, whereas Anne was busy all the time. She gave it to me because she knew I was collecting Anne's things. I would never sell the verse that Anne addressed to me, but as my sister was not attached to hers, I decided to sell it across the across the sea of. The British Sea. What's between the Netherlands and England? What body of water is that? Hopelessness. Across that body of water, a London cafe had to apologize for selling a smoothie with a swastika on the label. What is this story exactly? This was one of which of you wanted to talk about the swastika smoothie? Yeah, interesting. Could, could you explain? Could you swastika explain this to me? Well, they had uh, this this British uh, sort of like juice health cleanse place. <laughs> Please call call it by its name. Ninkum Soup Cafe. So they're not doing well so they're in actually, the pun department. This is like actually, if Mark started a restaurant and wanted to pun. They're actually <laughs> Ninkum Soup Nazis. Ninkum Soup Nazis. Literally. Uh, so, so they uh, launched a line of nut-based <laughs> beverages called Nutsy uh, and thought it would be very, very cute to have a swastika on the label. So 
the person who found this was like a Holocaust survivor who walks in and is like, why are there swastikas on your drink? And it's called the Nazi. So here's how I feel. If you're going to like make a mockery of the atrocity of the Holocaust, you might as well do a good job of it. Just go all out. So here's what, like, why don't you offer like, I don't know, a skim cappuccino? Oh, oh, me gusta. An Aryan spiced latte? You know what goes well with that? Um, my Donnekin donuts. <laughs> and look, like, you could also just do like a classic French Lugan Press coffee. <laughs> Come on, guys. Like, I'm just saying, like, don't butcher this. Can I move on now to the other? Because, because as you know, there's more where this came more, from. <laughs> more swastikas so away. More as you know, there's more, more edible swastikas. So I'm just going to read from the uh, the website of KPXN TV in Paradise Valley, um, Arizona, near Phoenix. Sweet treats at a Jewish teen's birthday party in Paradise Valley turned into an offensive message after young partygoers decided to decorate their cupcakes with swastika symbols. Pictures of the swastika topping began spreading on social media after the teen's mom posted about what happened on Facebook, writing that she hoped it could be used as a teaching moment for parents. I just said parrots. Writing that she hoped it could be... That's great. It's a teaching moment for parents. (laughs) Polly, look at this. Nazis very bad. Nazis very bad. Nazis very bad. According to the post, the girls are all friends and told the Jewish teen's mom they did it to be, quote, funny. The teen's mother also posted that her daughter and the girls at the party had just had a lesson on the Holocaust, so she believed they knew very well what the symbol meant. The cupcake is a perfect metaphor, I think, for for American Jews. You know, most of us take, like, the cake part, which is, you know, the knowledge and the religion <laughs> and the hard stuff, and kind of toss it away. Uh, we they care more. We top? care more about the icing. And the icing, let's face it, in recent years, it's, it's become the Holocaust, the Holocaust right? That's, yeah. that's the one yeah. thing they were like, oh, you know why we're Jews? Because Hitler said so. That's it. And so don't be surprised when someone just puts a swastika on your on your muffin top. Because it's like you think that they know a swastika more easily than they know Jewish stars. Because I think for Jews and anti-Semites alike, in this country, it really is just a war of symbols. And sadly, not much more. Hey, listen, um, from Phoenix to Moscow... Tatiana Novka, the wife of Vladimir Putin's spokesman, also apparently has a sideline as a professional ice dancer. And it's important <laughs> to keep stereotype alive. Um, and she and her dancing partner, the actor Andrei Borkovsky, uh, did this weird um, ice dance in which they were dressed in like pinstripes with numbers across their breasts, like prisoner numbers and yellow stars of David. And it was done to the music from Life is Beautiful, right? So it's... This is the play-by-play. The task on this ice skating competition was do a dance or a number set to like or inspired by one of your favorite films. Now, there are some films to choose from. Like you could do, you know, Jaws. I don't do anything. Like, you know what is funny? The movie about the Julian Kemp. (laughs) Like, feel good movie of Ian. It's Yakov Smirnov from the vodka ad. <laughs> oh my God. Yakov That's totally Smirnoff. what it is. That's where your Russian what accent you comes from, is Yakov Smirnov. In Soviet Russia, Holocaust skates on you. Smile, no matter what they Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated best play. 
Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Before we bring our Jew of the Week, I want to talk a little bit about the newsletter. It's written by our own Stephanie Butnick, and it's more than just notes on every week's show. It includes special, like, inside thoughts from us, questions of the week, hopes photos. And hopes photos. and dreams, photos. Like, how can people get this newsletter, Stephanie? Uh, best way is to send us an email at unorthodoxatabletmag.com. Uh, I'll add you myself. Send you a little note. You'll personally be involved in the adding of the person. Yes. We have actually a very sophisticated system. <laughs> This is a, a, a handcrafted artisanal yeah. newsletter. Small batch. Yeah, small small batch. batch. We have an upcoming live show February 10th at Temple Israel in West Palm Beach. If you want to talk to us about coming to your community to do a live show, contact Alyssa Goldstein at egoldstein at tabletmag.com. And if you want to subscribe to our print edition, you should text... Text the word tablet to the number 66866. And finally, you should be subscribing to our show on iTunes or whatever service you use. And write us a review. Rate us. Say nice things about us. Uh, but subscribe, because then you won't miss issues. Our Jew of the Week is a rabbi. I feel like once in a while we should have a human of the cloth, a person of the cloth on the show to talk about, you know, st- like stuff. Like you, you were at the, you were in the thick, you were in you were mired in Jews. <laughs> like that's what you you are a professional relator to Jews. So this week we have Rabbi Brent Chaim Spodek, who is the do you call yourself the spiritual leader, the rabbi, the yeah spiritual leader, spiritual rabbi, rabbi, rabbi of Beacon Hebrew Alliance in Beacon, which is in upstate New York. Um, he's like a big deal innovative rabbi. He gets he ends up on lists. Aren't you on lists of like best rabbis in upstate New York? That's I, what Jews I, love I, ending up on lists. That's yeah. true. I am I'm the senior chief rabbi of Beacon, New York. That's my, <laughs> that's my full chief, title. You're Beacon's rabbi, right? You're, you are your Beacon's rabbi, uh, chief Ashkenazi rabbi or chief Sephardi rabbi. Of Beacon, I actually New York. it's a dual appointment. I've got both. <laughs> I see. Um, he's the creator of things like the Shabbat Stroll, a meditative hike on Shabbat through the the wilds of upstate New York. True. Um, he also went to high school with my wife. So do you remember my wife from high school at all? Because she was behind. She was a year behind you, right? We had a good friend in common, so I knew her Is that as what my you, friend's friend. You knew her as your friend's friend, right? And like, what was she? We're just gonna take ten seconds on this. Was she? <laughs> yeah. Did you have? Did you have a vibe? Was she, of in, the, was she in the fast crowd? Yeah. Like mm, no, she, no. There was like the quiet literary girls crowd. Yeah. Was that a big crowd at at Stuyvesant? Uh, big enough. Big enough. Big enough. Um, all right. You know. All right. So basically, she hasn't changed at all. So what I wanted to ask you about was you you got this congregation that was, shall we say, dwindling? Yeah, fair enough. And and you you gave it a plasma injection. You brought you're bringing its numbers back. Like, what do you do when you because you moved to that area because your wife was teaching at Vassar College, right? Right. And you're like freelance rabbi and stay at home dad. And you're, mm, you're sort of. Well, you were working for American Jewish World Service. right? Yeah. yeah. But but you want a congregation for your kids. I mean, and, and you find this. How, how did it start? Well, so we moved there because my wife was uh, it was and is a professor at Vassar. And when we moved there, there the synagogue was there. It's been there for almost 100 years. Sweet, quiet, a little bit old, a little bit 
sleepy. And there wasn't so much going on for kids. And at the time, my daughter was two. And so I reached out to the two other Jewish families in town I knew and said, hey, do you want to do this thing on Saturday afternoon? Shabbat was not, that wasn't part of the conversation. You weren't going to use that word. Yeah, that's a scary word. It would be too Jewy. That would be way too Jewy. Saturday before sundown. Exactly. (laughs) Just like midday on Saturday, there's a dinosaur who's knocking on my door and maybe he wants to (laughs) knock on your door as well. So um, we started doing something in my living room and I'm not like supernaturally the kids rabbi. Like there's some people that's their thing. That's not really my thing, but in this case, it was because I was the senior chief rabbi of Beacon. Um, And it grew, and it grew really fast. So we started in January, and by the time we got to Passover, we had like 40 kids in my living room for a puppet seder, um, which was a lot of fun. And there was clearly this need and desire for something creative, open, playful. And so for a couple of years, I was working at AJWS and doing this thing in my living room with kids and then with adults and then the stuff in the forest. And then at a certain point, I left AJWS, became the rabbi of the community, and it's been going from there. So what's the stuff in the forest? You said you you're doing the stuff in the forest. Ah, so this has had a couple of iterations. For a while, it was snowshoes with Jews, and we would go out in the winter and we'd go snowshoeing. Um, but I would also take the kids and do meditation with them in the forest. Uh, Beacon's a tiny little town, and we're at the base of a mountain. Um... Over time, it's evolved in something called soul strolls, where we go out on Saturday morning. Well, I called it Shabbat stroll, but that was wrong. It's a soul stroll. We're very forgiving. Got it. Okay. That's, that's soul fine. strolls. Soul strolls. Um, and so on Shabbat morning, or Saturday mornings. Um, <laughs> it's like any day of the week. <laughs> like, right. It's just the day before Sunday. Um, you know, we go out and we do different parts of davening in the forest. And part of the thought is that for most people, Davening is really boring. And even if you know what's going on and you read and you understand, it's still boring. It feels sometimes like like there's sex and there's the Kinesey Report. And one of those things is like really exciting and like can determine your life. And one of those things describes the other thing, but is actually really boring. And even if you know how to read the Kinesey Report and you know everything that's in it, it's not it's not sort of like the thing it's describing. It's like totally different from the thing it's It's totally different right? from the thing you're describing. And for me at least, you know, spiritual practice, like good, rich spiritual practice is really exciting and empowering and the sort of thing that drives my life. And most Shabbat morning services I've been in are like a pale description of that thing. So going out into the forest gives me at least, and I think the folks who come, um, an opportunity to have something a little richer, a little more powerful, a little more exciting, and not the sort of description of an exciting experience somebody had 2,000 years ago. So do you think our religious practice, you know, in typical sort of mainstream synagogues has become too clinical almost and too sort of sanitized? To put it mildly. (laughs) (laughs) Like you literally need to get out of the synagogue to have meaningful spiritual practice. Often. It helps. And do you think it's specific to kids? Because I imagine, you know, kids... I remember going to uh, like bar mitzvah services every week uh, growing up. I mean, when I was a teen, and you just would sit through these services and be so bored. Is this? Is it? Do you think something because of the age these kids are at that this is actually going to help them engage more with Judaism throughout their life? It, it might help them connect to Judaism, but I think actually what it helps them connect more is to their own soul. And I think part of the problem with American Judaism is that we think Judaism is the goal, not the tool. And so we invest a whole lot in this tool 
But then you have generations of people from it's just not obvious, in, including me, that Judaism is the end all be all. And you ask, well, what does this do for me? And if you can't answer that question, why would you be invested in that tool? And so what I'm hoping is actually the kids, I hope they get connected to Judaism, but what I really hope they get connected to is, wow, how do I have a sense of awe and wonder? How do I deal with frustration? How do I um, express hope as a five-year-old? All right, it is now my, my turn to fulfill the clause in my contract that says I have to be a dick to our guest oh, at, least, at least once during the interview. So I love everything you're saying. Everything and um, you go to a show, and, right. and I go that to a show, hippy dippy of the kind. Has, of... I, I won't call it hippy dippy. I, I really think that it 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 has it a does what he's similar, talking about. It does yeah. what he's talking yeah. about, right? Yeah, and <clears throat> especially because I have two small children, and I see how completely moved they are by the music and how really present they are. I respect that. I really do, and I, I seek that out personally. And you know, I'm a member and I, I volunteer. I I love my show. Is what I'm saying. Uh, with that in mind. Here's here's my kind of one big problem. Um, isn't that sort of a way of saying, well, you know, whatever gets you through the night? In other words, at what point do you actually stop, reflect, and say, okay, look, uh, you could find other tools, right? You could find meditation and, and, and other things that work as well. But this is Judaism, and, and actually it requires, like, learning, like really serious, heavy-duty learning because there are ideas behind it, and they're much more specific than just, like, you know, go to the forest and find what moves you. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I think there are a couple of things here. I think, I mean, I know Romu, and I know David Ingber, and I think what they do is fantastic and great and really rich. I think it's 100% right that in order to really get into Judaism, you do have to learn it and you do have to have a knowledge base. But if you don't, it can't be that what we say to, I mean, look, when I was a kid, when I was 24, I left being a reporter, went to Israel, studied in Israel for a while, went to seminary. So I invested a huge chunk of my life in getting a literacy and fluency in Judaism. And I'm really glad I did that. But I can't say to someone who's 40, oh, hey, listen, you're looking for spiritual nourishment. Um, why don't you quit your job, move to Israel for a couple of years, and let's talk in six years when you're fluent in Hebrew. That's not – that's just not reality-based. Right, and, but you could say, hey, you know, read a page of Talmud a day. Don't come here three times a year uh, or even, you know, for that matter, once a week. Feel good about yourself and leave. I think – so I've written over my desk the line from the Gemara, Hamotzi mechavro alav – can I speak in Hebrew here? Is that okay? It's, it's permitted. Well, yes, just, but there, no there one understands. There was a foul <laughs> language warning. In and the don't tell anyone show, it's so. Hebrew because then yeah. you'll drive them away. All right. right. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> on Saturday <laughs> – On Saturday, I speak in Hindi. Hindi <laughs> is very cool. Hamotzi mechavro alav haraya – the one who wants something from his friend, the proof is on them. So – if I want to say to someone, hey, I think you should engage in Judaism, it's on me to make the case as to why this is going to be powerful, meaningful, resonant for them. Why, why should they do this thing and not go to soccer or sit on their couch or go to meditation or go to church? Yes, I 100% agree that in order to get the richness of it, you've really got to get into it. But that's just not where people are. I mean, that's sort of like saying... Hey, if you want to use that phone in your pocket, first you've got to learn coding. And once you understand coding and radio transmission, then you can play Sudoku on your phone. But until then, sorry. Um, I remember some time ago you said to me that in your community you were suggesting they, that you put a pause on bar and bat mitzvahs. Mm. Tell me, what, what am I remembering and, and how did that go and why? Uh, that is, uh, <laughs> is sort of something I hope to do. Um, you know, bar mitzvahs are tough because I think that um, 
the bar mitzvah is necessarily external. It's necessarily performative. I mean, the bar mitzvah as we have it structured, right? And it's structured as the endpoint. And of course, everybody says, everybody says, no, 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 no. It's definitely not the endpoint. It's the beginning of your life as a Jewish adult. But <laughs> the great lie. Right. Um, and so the focus on external performance as opposed to internal growth corrupts the whole thing. And it can, those things aren't necessarily exclusive. But if the thing we're focused on is this big public performance where everybody's going to come and watch you, then necessarily everything you do to prepare is focused on how good the public performance is. And it's not clear to me why we do that or even why, forget, I'm not even talking about the parties. The parties aren't my problem. The bar mitzvah itself, why, why does it necessarily have to be this big public thing in which a community, even at a robust community like Romamu or BJ where I used to uh, do a, where I was a fellow, you know, they have a strong Shabbat morning community, but still there'd be hundreds of people who'd show up on a Saturday morning for somebody's bar mitzvah. But that's not actually a community. That's not actually the gathering, right? It's the people who are there for the moment. It's the guest list. It's the guest list. And in many ways, it's the structure communicates, this isn't something we do regularly, right? This is something we put on. This I mean, is a act- very special episode exactly. of Judaism. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This is that thing you did once. Yeah. On when you were 13. Like, and then I you were remember, done after it. Like right. you, you studied, you trained, and then it was over. And you right. never have to go to synagogue again. Yeah. Actually, I'll plug your book. You beautifully wrote about, um, what's her name? Annie Bass in Connecticut and the richness of her experience and how invested she was. That was great. Yeah. She was a special kid, though. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. that's what Bar Mitzvah was, Bar Mitzvah was, yeah. that would be super. Yeah. But that's so rare and so difficult to. Um, so, what's the solution? Get rid of it? Change it? I mean, deep down, I know you have a normative plan somewhere. You have a, somewhere deep down, you're thinking, here's where we're going to be in 10 years. I think part of it actually requires stepping back and thinking about what do we mean by mitzvah? Because the, the I think there actually is, I mean, in line with the other that well, I think the idea of mitzvot, of instructions for holy living are really great and important. And you want to call them commandments, call them commandments. It doesn't sell as well. But, um, but in a liberal community, basically all we say is we're, we're not halachic. We're not focused on the mitzvot. And actually doing the work of saying like, no, no, these are the things we actually are committed to. Right. And then saying, okay, coming of age means becoming an adult, becoming a leader in these things that we're committed to. So if your life has been such that you have never seen somebody read from the Torah, except at your cousin's bar mitzvah, why is this... This can't possibly be the marker of what we mean as meaningful Jewish adulthood. So Stephanie just used a word that I think is very apt in this conversation, training. Um, imagine you're, you're sort of a spiritual gym you know, instructor. What are the sort of five reps that we could do at home to kind of flex that muscle uh, of, of Jewish knowledge, feeling? Give me, give me three things that, you know, Every listener who is as disengaged and as sort of like, yeah, I ate a bagel once, and so I feel kind of connected to this. He, he really hates uh, the bagel juice. I really hate the bagel juice. I love uh, them. You like bagels, them. though, right? Uh, no, no, I don't. Oh, you don't even like See, no. it starts with his It starts with his for, for bagels. It's not that I hate the bagel juice. It's just that I think it's such a pity to engage in such a flimsy way yeah, I like anything. Your, I like your like, question. Give us three... Three things to do. Entry right. point exercises. Um, and I like, by the way, that was the best bargaining I ever did because you started with five, and before I even said anything, you went down to three. That was that was perfect. It's American I, Judaism I, at work here. I jewed myself down. <laughs> All right, so um, let's see. Shabbat, 
And Shabbat here, I would say, a meaningful engagement with rest. It's not enough to say, oh, we don't do what they do in Muncie, right? You can't, you can't. Muncie being a super ultra-Orthodox community yes. for those who. And purveyors of fine cholent. <laughs> oh, so good. So um, good. It's not enough to say this is what we don't do. Right, But to say, okay, in our family, in our community, we don't spend money on Shabbat. We go to the movies, we, you know, whatever, do this or that. We yeah, don't in Mark's spend money. family, they don't spend money when they go to the movies anyway. You know, they <laughs> we, sneak in. we pay so for the first like movie. We pay for the first the tickets movie. type of thing. It's, it, it's the Fandango Shabbat. <laughs> you pre-order so you don't no, have... No, but rest, rest is... Okay, and, so rest, rest maybe having digital... A, having a conception yeah. of Shabbat, of a having day of a pause. Having a conception that actually makes sense to you and you actually hold by. If it's money, great. If it's digital, great. Or uh, absence from digital... If it's every Shabbat we go out, uh, you know, there's somebody in my community um, who has uh, cultivated Shabuvi night in their house. So in their household, <laughs> all right, um, they, on Friday night, they light the candles and make kiddish and do all that stuff. And then they cuddle up together and watch a movie. Now, from a perspective of normative Judaism, that's crazy. That's not what you do. But from the perspective of, of wait, why should we do anything? Right, the idea that this gives them a frame, a structure to their week—that's actually really powerful. And and enforced family time, or not enforced, but 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 scheduled family time, yeah, like ritualized family time. Yeah. And it has a portmanteau, which is a, you know a Jew's best friend. Well, I, had, that, I love nothing. I had more. a friend who had shabu shabbat, which was Japanese shabu shabu meat every shabbat. Nice. <laughs> okay, number one is shabbat. Yeah. Number two, I would say, is some form of internal practice davening, meditation, and if what that internal practice is, is you take one line, uh, you know, any one line of the liturgy, and learn it, and, you know, print it up, put it in your iPhone, stick it on the wall outside of your bed, and be like, okay, I'm going to begin my day, or I'm going to end my day with this moment of internal practice, right? But do that as a regular thing, as a daily thing. I think that would be number two. And this is where the focus isn't on, like with the bar mitzvah, baruch, baruch, atah, atah, right? Where we're, we're doing a parody. Take one thing and mean it and learn it, great. So Shabbat, internal practice, um, learning, not learning for the sake of how to do something, but learning as its own engagement, right? Torah lishma. Take, take something, take a class, take a workshop, take a lecture, just take a book and read it on your own, right? Read Radical Judaism by Art Green. Read God in Search of Man. Heschel. You know, there's a million great books. Read the short stories in the book Natasha by David Bezmosgis, which teaches a lot of Jewish practice. It's actually that rare fiction that actually has practice in it, that has liturgy and observance. And, great. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But do something where... But there... I don't, I don't know those stories, though. Yeah, you I'll, should. I will yeah. read them. I'll give them um, to you. I feel like the essence is not learning for the instruction manual, right. but learning as its own practice. As pleasure. Right? Yeah. yeah, learning as pleasure. When I read Heschel or Soloveitchik or whatever it might be, the sense of expanse you might feel in your soul and in your brain, right? Not the instruction manual. This isn't learn art scroll and figure out when you're supposed to bow at the right time, but engage yourself through learning. So what do we have? We have Shabbat, some sort of interior practice, davening meditation, learning, um, we're getting a fourth. We're getting a fourth. It's a bonus. Um, it's a good deal. Right. This is he's buy us a three, bargain. get he's, one He's giving us a bargain. Um, tzedakah, some form of externalized ethics, right? Where you say, okay, your material needs, that actually is my spiritual concern. Some practice of giving tzedakah, uh, giving tzedakah volunteering regularly. Something where you say, oh, okay, my spiritual needs have to be addressed through a concern of something outside of me. 
man, whatever religion you're starting, yeah, I'm, I'm signing on to. We're all signing on. add like Jewish podcast <laughs> as like the fifth that people should Some be doing. Some of our listeners well, that, that was just obvious. I oh. figured it didn't even need to be said. This is this is amazing. We're talking to Rabbi Brent Chaim Spodek of Beacon Hebrew Alliance. I want to conclude with one question. Actually, I, this is a parenting question. I want all of your opinions here, right? So my daughter, Ellie, we've just bought her an iPod Nano, which is the most expensive gift we've ever bought for any of our kids. You can't get a little cheapo Walkman anymore. Like they just, because what are you going to do? Buy them cassettes. So you have to go, whatever. We spent more than we would have liked, but she loves music and it was her eighth birthday and she's she's loved it. It was worth every penny. It's really meant a lot to her. One of the songs, one of the first 10 songs she downloaded was um, this song, I Found You On My Knees by Christian rocker Carrie Joe. You hear a song called I Found You On My Knees yeah. by a 25-year-old woman. By, by, by Neo. Right. Yeah. You think of a certain plot line it's in fact about it's worse <laughs> it's actually worse. which yeah which offends you no, this is a serious question which offends you more <laughs> oh, christian rock definitely or, christian or, rock or, or gangster rap. Yeah. it's about it's about finding jesus on her knees she's a christian rocker and of course she uses knows how to use a google bar she's like oh this is about dropping to your knees and finding jesus and he apparently came back from the dead and now she all, all of a sudden she knows the christian story which by the way is a really fabulous story much better than a lot of old testament stuff that she's been getting week in and week out you know at at, at shul we um, prefer the term Hebrew yeah, Bible. Yeah, I was about to say Old Testament. Old Testament. So here's my question. New Haven. It's now, I think I know the answer. Testament. <laughs> I think I know the answer. The answer Original is... Original God. The answer is if I forbid Christian rock, I just, I, I make it the forbidden fruit. You send and her to the convent. Like Chava herself, she's gonna, she's gonna, you know, want to taste some of that. So I let this play out, right? But uh, what, could you speak to my feelings about this? Like she's, she's getting really into Christian rock. Rabbi? Rabbi? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, <laughs> please take it. No, go ahead. Um, I would say don't sweat it. I mean, I feel like there's so much Jewish insecurity that what we have isn't good enough, yeah. and we're constantly playing catch up. So, you know, one of the things that um, we started doing in my community a couple of years ago that's relevant to this is um, we built up Sukkot. So we built this huge sukkah on Main Street. We built it together with the arts community. Everyone's invited. We have classes, workshops, raves, um, do all sorts of stuff in the middle of town. We're all moving to Beacon, New York to join your congregation. Great, please. Like, that's come. where we're all going. Um, and so it's right in the middle of town. And we have all sorts of stuff happening there over Sukkot. And we're not – this isn't Sukkot. It's like something else. It's Burning Man. Right. It's just <laughs> this is our own awesome thing. Everybody's welcome. And at least in my little world, including my family, I mean, I've got the same, I mean, my kids just saw the Rockettes this weekend, right? The Radio City Musical, right? But it's not about, it's saying, oh, hey, we do this awesome thing called Sukkot, and here's the hut, and here's the Lulav and Esrog, and here's all this amazing stuff we do. Oh, hey, you guys do Christmas? That's awesome. Tell us about Christmas. Oh, you've got songs and lights and a fat guy in a red suit? Wonderful. We'll see you next fall at our awesome thing. And so it's less about this sort of insecure catch-up. And more saying like, hey, what we do is awesome. And then being like, oh, hey, you do something awesome too? Great. So I worry less that your daughter is listening to Christian rock and more, okay, what is exciting, passionate, powerful, compelling to her? Amen that's a good, that. that's a good answer. To that. I will just tack on, like, maybe download some Modest Yahoo for her <laughs> back in the old days. <laughs> some old. Some, some old, Yossi Green. So, some yeah. old, <laughs> old school stuff. I, I completely agree. You know, so my kids are little super Jews. You know, they go, they go to Jew school and they're, you know, thoroughly, fully Jewish. Um, we go to the Met twice a week. And the first thing they want to see is Jesus. Uh, because the pageantry of the Met twice yeah, a week. Yeah, that's where I'm stuck. I kind of, we kind of live there. It's amazing. Wow. 
right. They love it. Kind of live there like you don't have another apartment or just... He actually has two <laughs> I apartments. I want to talk about it on the air. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, so we drive in New York because I'm Israeli and to me, you know, it's an extension of you invented my, ways, my, right? my manhood. I did, yeah. I was calling up my friends being like, there is a police two blocks ahead. Be careful. Um, and so you you drive right into the Met and you park there and it's always empty because no one drives into the Met and you just take the elevator if you're a member there's like a little entrance and you just go right up and it's fantastic and the kids run around and sit and look they sort of wave you beautiful in. art and you know draw and do things and they love looking at the Jesus stuff and and for me a I completely agree with you like it's completely secure enough in the Jewish education that I give them for me to want for them to engage with it. But there's even another dimension. I love the fact that they that they understand that that faith uh, and community and religious practice is this universal constant, which a lot of other people experience in a lot of other diverse ways, and so that their world becomes richer, and I think their identity becomes more and more confident because they understand it's not something that dumb old dad said, you have to do this because it's what we do. It's, it's, it's a, it's a part of being human it's important to me i, I feel inspired yeah guys i like this I we're like gonna leave this. here and go on a tuesday stroll great <laughs> so brent chaim spodek uh what what website should people find you at if they want more of you beacon hebrew alliance.org beacon will you put up a special message for our listeners I on that absolutely will all right brent chaim spodek thank you for being our jew of the week thank you Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. So, a little mail of the Jews this week. First of all, a uh, a note about our Toronto show. Uh, dear unorthodox family, I was kind of bummed to hear you guys stumbling around in the dark when your guest in Toronto asked you about payas. There's no mitzvah that commands a Jew to have locks, rather just not to shave the corners of your head or beard. This Harry's Razors business cracks me up, by the way. Growing out the locks is just an act of beautifying a negative. Thou shalt not. 
mitzvah. Just like you can make kiddush from a red solo cup, yet we choose to do so from a silver-coated Jewish crunk cup, so too do we celebrate the mitzvah of not cutting by growing. But according to pictures I've seen of Mark and Liel, your payas are just as kosher as mine. Much nachis, Bucky Goldstein, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Bucky. I just, Bucky. I just wanted to get to Bucky Goldstein of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Love, uh, love you, man. Love you. We'll Our, see you in Tulsa. <laughs> so bring us to Tulsa. Now, a letter that alludes to he who shall not be named without naming he who shall not be named. Dear Mark, Stephanie, and Liel, I've been a faithful listener to your podcast from the beginning, so I want to tell you how much your words mean to me. I'm guessing I'm not your typical listener. I'm a 50-year-old arts and culture-loving liberal Gentile in the blood-red state of Kentucky who stumbled upon your first podcast, found it entertaining, and has listened in and laughed with you ever since. Every week, your podcast gives me a break from the inanities that surround me and allow me to enjoy the company of three hip, younger friends. Your post-election podcast, however, was much more than a break. It reminded me that there is still some sanity in this country. And as the very concerned wife of a Bosnian refugee, now an American citizen, I thank you for taking a stand against the idea of a Muslim registry. May we all soon live in better times. Yours truly, Tammy. Thanks, Love you, Tammy. Tammy. Love, you. Love you, Tammy. Keep the faith in Kentucky. <clears throat> our sourest letter from our Toronto show. Here we go. Good afternoon. I attended the tablets. I attended the tablets unorthodox live podcast at the Beth Zedek Synagogue in Toronto last night. My daughter and I left halfway through. What a disappointment. I guess I'm not really familiar with what a podcast is, but from those that I've listened to, this was pure drivel and not worthy of Beth Zedek. Your panelists succeeded in demonstrating what is so irritating and annoying about Americans, in this case Jewish ones, when they come to Canada and try to convince an audience that they actually know something. They didn't. Judging by the idiotic banter by the panelists, it was abundantly clear that no one was prepared to engage with an intelligent, informed Canadian Jewish audience. Drake? Really? Who cares who knows his Bubby or if he went to Jewish day school? He didn't. Is Drake even an issue for the Jewish community? If he is, well, that says it all, and it was insulting. Sincerely, Sarah Shapiro. Look, another happy customer. <laughs> another happy customer. The Jubador heard our Toronto show and thought that Liel deserved a special short tribute. I was trying to get to Canada to see my friends and do my stuff. Thought my green card was enough, but in the end it wasn't. And they pulled me right off the plane. Wouldn't hear as I explained. I did it before with no complaints. But now they say things have changed. A green card doesn't cut it. A green card doesn't cut it. A green card doesn't cut it anymore. Now you gotta go on your passport. The Jubador, Thank Jim. Thank you, Jubador. Jim Nabel with a little pan to Liel's travel misdeeds. Finally, one of our greatest letters ever. Dear, I say that a lot, but this one, this one kind of is. Dear Stephanie, Mark, and Liel, I really enjoy listening to your podcast, and I've been listening since day one. I discovered your podcast while surfing the tablet website one day, and it quickly became something to look forward to every week. Listening to Mark and Liel banter is like sitting at the adults' table and watching your two uncles go back and forth about anything and everything. Also, this is kind of embarrassing, but I sort of have a huge crush on Stephanie's voice. Although I'm not Jewish. Hi. and <laughs> Give him a little more. What's up? There we go. Um, and this is where the letter gets fabulous. Although I'm not Jewish, I attended a Kol Nidre service and tried fasting afterward for over 25 hours as an exercise in self-control. Okay, I cheated. I drank water twice. On Yom Kippur, I lay in bed and afflicted myself with hunger pangs while listening to the Yom Kippur episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> when the 25 hours were up, I broke the fast by having coffee at a nearby Starbucks. As a result, I couldn't sleep at all that night. I was lucky enough to attend your taping in Bethsetic in Toronto. I was super excited when you guys announced that you'd be coming up here. Thanks for a lovely laughter-filled evening. I was kind of bummed out that Liel couldn't make it. It would have been cool to attach a face to a voice I hear every week. Guys, keep up the great work. Thanks so much for making a 27-year-old CBC, Canadian-born Chinese, laugh a lot every week. Shukoyach! Yours very truly, Oliver Wong, Toronto, Canada. Oh, I love Oliver. Yeah, it was so was, fun meeting him. Oliver was great. And I don't know, but on Instagram, he posted all these pictures he drew of us during the during oh, wow. the event. He, oh, like, did has, he? Yeah, he like he's a, an artist, and he just like I, I don't know. It's great. And Oliver, let me tell you, I truly have a face for radio. He <laughs> miss, you miss nothing. Google Images is your. I friend. felt like I let him down a little when he met because when he came up to me after the show and he's like, "I have to tell you, like I have a voice crush on you," and I was like. I hope I'm not disappointing <laughs> you. Yeah, that's kind of a stressful flesh. thing to say. I like, like, can oh, I give? Uh, I have to give you his P.S. and P.P.S. Oh. P.S. Please consider moving to Toronto. We have great Chinese food, and while it's no New York City pastrami, I've got to tell you that our smoked meat is not bad. P.P.S. If you guys ever need a summer intern slash Chavez Goy at Tablet, holla at Cho Goy. Wouldn't it be funny? As, sorry, if our interns just like turn the lights off and like. Turn the lights <laughs> off. They were Chavez Goy. <laughs> We made the work Saturday, like work, work the back end of the website Saturday. As well, please tell your producer, Alyssa, to keep rocking those shiny shoes. Oh, yeah. She has great shiny shoes. Oliver, you're the man. As ever, write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Follow us on Facebook and subscribe at iTunes. Uh, I think that's it, except for our muzzle tubs. Bye, blah, blah, blah. Oliver. Bye, Oliver. Ooh. Bye. Yeah, bye, Oliver. <laughs> muzzle tubs of the week. Stephanie? Oh, I got one. All right. This one's close to home. My mazel tov is to Elise and Howard Butnick, who threw an amazing Thanksgiving. They invited the Coens over. It was 18 people. It was crazy. It was so nice. And we just had a great time. And I just like, I really appreciated it. Did they strive for the 18, the perfect 18? Oh, or no. just did it just No, I don't that? think it was the goal to be at 18. That was, I think, a very big, Good big undertaking. Mazel tov, it was so fun. Yeah. It was so fun. Lyle? Um, so I just bought an indoor smokeless grill. Uh, and my mazel tov this week <laughs> is to Shotzi the Butcher. On Broadway and 102, my butcher, um, you know, no one should really go to a supermarket to get meat. You should get a proper butcher. And you should get a, a, a true gentleman and scholar like Shotzi who treats meat right. I love you, man. You're Shotzi. an important part of my Shotzi life. Shotzi the butcher. Uh, and my mazel tov is to my daughter, Rebecca Rose Oppenheimer, who's almost 10. And she decided that what she wanted to motivate her through Hebrew school was to know what her bat mitzvah parsha was going to be in January of 2019. So she picked Beshalach, the uh, the parting of the Red Sea, and then the manna from heaven afterwards. And when the rabbi said, you know, that's a really hard Haftorah, it's really difficult, she said, I can do it. So here's to you, kiddo. You've already surpassed your mom and dad, and we're excited for January 19. You're going to kill. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. That's so important. It's just it's it's world changing. It's it's Lamed Vavnik making. Our show is edited by Noah After the Flood Levinson and produced by Alyssa Down Under Goldstein and Shira Harvard Talushkin. Rabbinic supervision is by the amazing Jewess Ann Schechner, who is keeping the faith in Kansas. We'll get to your question soon. And kosher slaughtering is by the very gentilic Betsy DeVos. Amway, really Amway. Follow Tablet on Facebook. Get us in all those places. On Twitter at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Golem. And we record in Argo Studios, gluten-free since 2015. Shalom, friends. <laughs>